Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to the hot stove. Going and going. Goodbye, baseball. Nelson Cruz. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The Kings want to swing and a miss. He gets them whiffing on a changeup. Let's fire up the hot stove and talk some Mariners baseball. Here's your host, Rick Riz. Hello again, everybody. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. We are live tonight uh, from uh, the Mariners team store here at Bellevue Square. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer and Mike Blowers. Producer engineer Kevin Kremen is still here and a cheering cast of thousands here. Let's hear from the cheering cast of thousands. Everybody's getting ready for the holiday season. Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, Bellevue Square is just packed with people getting ready. And uh, there's no better place in Bellevue Square then right here at the Mariners Team Store to do your Christmas shopping. Mike Flowers and Shannon Dreyer, you guys already caught up on your uh, shopping? You N- not even close, but there's nothing unusual about that. <laughs> you, you, you're not a question, the guy that though. waits until Christmas Eve. Right? You mentioned Kevin Kremen. I, I thought I went to his retirement party. What's he doing yeah, we here? Did. We had oysters was, and everything. It was, was really good. Are, are you still here? <laughs> what are you doing here? No, he's still getting a paycheck until yeah, what, January what uh, 31st. Uh, something like that. He's still hanging around and... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, my goodness, we're going to miss this guy. 35 years. Yeah. Hope he ever leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. No, no, don't go. We need, we need you, Kevin. Don't leave right now. Oh, I could. No, 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 no. No, no, we need you, buddy. But Kevin has put together a great show, as always, here in the first hour of our Hot Stove League show, first uh, of the uh, holiday season from the Baroness Team Store in Bellevue Square. We're going to visit with uh, GM Jerry DePoto, who is, over the last 26 months, I think he's made about 582 trades. I think it's more like 65, involving about 125, 130 guys. But Jerry Depoto is going to be with us in the, uh, the the first hour of the show. And then in the second hour, Dan the Man is going to be here. Dan Wilson is going to join us. We're going to talk about his career and what he has done with the organization and uh, his thoughts about uh, the 2018 season and last year, of course. And also, you know, we're still waiting for Edgar Martinez to be voted into the Hall of Fame. He's got this year and next year on the ballot for the writers. Edgar's got to get in. Why? Because he deserves to be in. We're going to visit in the second hour with uh, a writer from uh, SportingNews.com. His name is Ryan Spader, and he wrote this tremendous article about why Edgar Martinez should be in the Hall of Fame. He passes our eye test, Mike, Shannon, myself, Kevin's, cheering cast of thousands, but he came up with some incredible numbers why Edgar should be in the Hall of Fame. So it's going to be a lot of fun talking with Ryan Spader. Yeah, and with the way that everybody kind of looks at the game, including Jerry, you are going to talk to, and you put Edgar's numbers, then he belongs in for sure. Yeah. I think it just strengthens his case. So it'll be great to hear what he has to say. You know, you, you take a look at his numbers, Shannon. 
And you see the batting average, the 312 batting average for his career, the 400-plus on-base percentage, the 515 slugging percentage for his career. Only 21 guys have done that. The other 20 are in the Hall of Fame, so Edgar deserves to be there. But Ryan Spader came up with this stat, or that he discovered that if Edgar went 0 for 660, his on-base percentage would still match Tony Gwynn's and David Ortiz's on-base percentage. How great is that? Well, I, I think it's not surprising in what we saw, and I think that a lot of these numbers have been out there for a while. And it was kind of fun. You remember our good friend Jeff, Ed, uh, um, Jeff Evans from mm-hmm. uh, Media Relations with the Mariners who's moved on a few years ago, but he actually tweeted last night. He is so thrilled to see the movement and the pickup online, and, and Twitter is where you see it mostly in Edgar picking up the votes that he is picking up right now. And a lot of that goes back in a big hat tip, and a lot of the credit goes to the Mariners PR staff, and Jeff was instrumental early on in it, uh, getting those numbers. It's no longer does he have 500 home runs, does he have 3,000 hits. Now everybody is getting in to the numbers that uh, go well beyond that and really paint the complete picture of that player. And a lot of these uh, media packets that we see now also include things like quotes from former teammates, people who uh, faced him. Of course, Mariano Rivera had the great quote. He hit 529 against Mariano Rivera. Everybody else hit about a buck 10. Absolutely. It was his biggest nightmare, he said. And even Pedro Martinez, who kind of had Edgar's number, still said that was the toughest right-handed hitter that he faced when he was pitching. So it's been just a Herculean effort to get all of this information out there. And you've got uh, Ryan Spader, who's helping uh, in he uh, said that this year that was going to be his focus in trying to lobby Fred yeah. Martinez, and it's going on on Twitter. Somebody else that has been instrumental in this is Jay Jaffe at Sports Illustrated. He's had a lot of these numbers for years now, but it's really picking up steam as people are getting more into the social media, more into the numbers the voters are, yeah. and they're becoming more aware of it. Something that I thought was neat as I saw a tweet of, we all saw the packet that uh, Mariners uh, PR put out on Edgar Martinez with all of these numbers. Right. They gave one to every single media member at the winter meetings as they were leaving the winter meetings. I'm like, that is perfect airplane reading from the flight exactly. from Orlando. Look at this. <laughs> read it. Check it out. And then the last thing I would say on that <clears throat> note is if you are on Twitter and if you're not following Ryan Tibdo, who is uh, is uh, at not Mr. Tibbs on uh, Twitter, he is tracking all of the Hall of Fame votes. He gets every Hall of Fame vote that comes in, except for some anonymous. Most most are now with names on them. Some are anonymous. He gets almost every single one that comes in, and he has an online tracker. And right now there are about 12% of the ballots that have been returned by the Hall of Fame uh, voters, and Edgar is on 82.1% wow. of them. That's and great. you, you want to see him continue to trend in that direction because mm-hmm. he was around 75% at this time last year. He dropped about 10 at the very yeah. end when the last flood of ballots came in. But he is up, uh, he has gained eight votes that he didn't have last year. Eight Ooh. voters who didn't vote for him or new voters have voted for him. He's lost two. So he's yeah. really looking good right now. Yeah, well, I, think I think for me, and, and if you out there listening haven't noticed, Shannon has put a lot of time into this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But, you know, the, one of the things that I heard about it, Shannon, is, one, you, you talk about him being a DH, and I think that we, we should be well past that now. you got to. But how, how much of it do you think is because he was a DH and on the West Coast? I think that's everything. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I run into Chicago Cubs writers that have been there forever that I, I very much respect. They have no idea who he is because he never they never saw right. him. He never you know, was yeah. in a National League ballpark. I think he had a tiny bit of interleague, but I, yeah. I think that a, a big part of that is, is that he yeah. played only for one team. I was shocked, really shocked, at spring training this year 
in March, we had Tracy Ringlesby on the air She's in the booth. never voted for him. And we had this debate. I played devil's advocate, and I said, why do you, do you not vote for Edgar Martinez? He belongs in all things. And he said, because he's a DH. And I said, well, first of all, in 1973, the DH became a part of the game of baseball, so we need to move on, okay? And if, if the logic, I'm, I was trying to have a little logic with him, okay, you took the glove away from Edgar, you took the bats away from the pitchers. You know, so can you vote for a starting pitcher? Can you vote for a closer? I just went with the logic route, and he still had a rough time with that. And I got all this respect for Tracy Ringlesby, one of the great writers. He's in the Hall of Fame, you know. So I think that you need to get beyond that. Frank Thomas spent a major portion of his career as a DH. Paul Molitor, you know, as well. And, Mike Flowers, you're going to love this because Edgar mentioned in 1993, he said in 1993 he became the DH because we were a better team with me being the DH and Mike Blowers as the third baseman. Well, I appreciate him saying that, but really we just needed him in the lineup every day, and that's when he started to have some injuries and having to stay health, healthy. To have the, the health issue there, and um, I remember because it's something that he didn't want to do initially. Yeah, and he, and he was actually a good third baseman. He was, but then he started having arm problems, and then he had the leg issues, and he was out of the lineup too much. And Lou, who's brilliant smartest manager I've ever been around, decided we're better off if this guy's in the lineup every day and basically told him that he was going to have to be the DH. Exactly. Say, friends, get ready for the 2018 season with a new Mariners batting practice cap featuring the retro Trident logo and Navy and Teal. Text the word HAT, H-A-T, to 710-710 now to be entered to win. One winner will be contacted on Monday, and don't forget to stop by any of five Mariners Team Store locations for all of your holiday shopping. And we're here tonight at the Bellevue Square uh, team store, so come on by. Say hello to Mike and Shannon, myself. We're going to have uh, Jerry Depoto with us coming up here in the next few minutes on the phone. Dan Wilson is going to be with us live here at the Bellevue uh, Mariners team store. So come on by. Say hello. We've got a cheering cast of thousands here, and we'll be back with more hot stove from Bellevue Square's Mariners team store continues right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off season. The hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And before a cheering cast of thousands here at the Bellevue Mariners team store, welcome back to Hot Stove. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher and Mike Blowers, producer engineer Kevin Kremen. This reminder the time is now to join the club as a Mariners season ticket holder. Lock in the best seats. At the best prices to catch all of the action at Safeco Field in 2018. For more information on the many benefits you're going to enjoy as a season ticket holder, log on to Mariners.com slash 18. The Mariner Moose just showed up. It is Christmas time here in the Northwest and all around the country. And uh, what better place to do your Christmas shopping than right here at the Mariners team store. Coming up here in the next uh, few minutes, Shannon and Mike. We're going to visit with Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Again, very busy at the winter meetings, which just wrapped up uh, yesterday, four days, all the GMs and everybody, the scouting directors and and uh, the stat guys getting together for four days in Orlando, Florida. Your thoughts about uh, Jerry's acquisitions, D. Gordon, all-star second baseman, gold glove second baseman to play center field, Ryan Healy over at first base, the addition of Juan Nicasio in the uh, uh, bullpen for the Mariners. Uh, your thoughts about uh, Jerry's uh, 
last four days in uh, Orlando. Well, it's been pretty interesting kind of watching. Obviously, uh, there was a big focus on Otani, and uh, there was a lot of work that was going on while they were pursuing him and work well uh, afterwards, too. So it's been good to see that going on. You saw Healy kind of be the first pickup, which you knew they needed a first baseman. It was uh, good to see him be able to make a move and not have to spend much money in that. You've got him for six years, so that's somebody that can kind of grow into the position and, and kind of be a part of that kind of second core that uh, he has. Uh, Nicasio, not official as of yet, but I would imagine we hear that early next week will be a very nice addition to that bullpen. Led the NL in innings last year, which scares me a little bit, but he's a starter, so he, he's a convert. That was his first year in relief and just put up great numbers, has some closing uh, experience as well, and, and one of those arms that can throw 96 out of the pen. So I know that Jerry really kind of wanted to get a couple of those velocity arms. He feels he's got two or three of them right now for the back end to help Edwin out, which is great. And then Gordon was the interesting one. I like this. What I hear about I this, like uh, that came together very quickly. And, you know, Miami kind of went fire sale, and, and yeah. that they kind of – uh, put everybody out there, and this was one that the Mariners were able to get. And uh, Gold Glove second baseman, why not put him in center field? And of course, he's got the best teacher in the world, and Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. working with him. And I talked to Jr. about it, and he said, "No problem. He'll, you know, we'll have him in shape." And it was funny. I, I asked him, "So, do you just talk to him about center field?" I was like, "Nope. <laughs> we're gonna be out in the field. We're going to work." I told the kid, "Well, you just ruined my golf game this week." <laughs> he was out there the other day, right after now. the trade, right? He, he was. He was. Yeah, and, you know, he's, put, he's been all over. So Social media has put a video of, of uh, you know, getting some work out in center field and had a video that he was ready to get after it with the Mariners right after the trade. So uh, just kind of fun to see that. And, of course, he's the son of Tom Gordon, so he knows Flash. how a, a clubhouse works. Heard nothing but good about him. And, Mike, uh, I mean, you made that switch from shortstop over to third base, still on the left side of the infield. But here's a kid that is athletic. You know, that quick plus, first plus step. Plus, plus speed, that's not going to be a you problem. Know, yeah. There, there are a few things um, technique-wise that he'll pick up right away. But he's obviously a tremendous athlete. I don't see it being a problem not at, at all. all. And with his speed and safe go field, it'll be great to have him out there. I, I just think that when, when I saw that happen for the Mariners, I was really excited about it. And obviously, because of what Shannon was just talking about, he's bought into it right away, which is important. And yeah. um, he, he's really going to help this club in a lot of ways. And we've seen a lot of His dad, Tom, has a better curveball, though. <laughs> Tom Gordon had one of the best curveballs yeah. in the history. Greg Olson, remember Greg Olson with Baltimore? Yeah. Oh my God, he hit it. Now, unfortunately, I saw both curve. of them. Yeah, he yeah. he was nasty. But I, I think this is this is this right here is great for the Mariners. I think it's yeah. pluses across the board to have him here. Well, you see a lot of middle infielders eventually, you know, go out to. Center. We saw Robin Yount do it. We saw Adam Jones do it. He's, you know, they're athletes, and you you draft a shortstop. You know, he can play pretty much any any position. You know, you put him out there long enough, I think this kid is going to be able to handle. What I really like, though, is how he fits into the offense, into the lineup. In that sure. lineup. So here's a guy with 200 hits in his season, a 300 batting average, an all-star, uh, on-base percent, and 60 stolen bases last year, Shannon. Mike? We're finally going to see that running game this year. Yeah. You pair him with Segura and Gamble. And, and I think that it's a little bit different when, when I look at players and, and they come into an organization for the first time, even veteran guys and guys that have accomplished things at this level. Um, for me, for the power guys, I get a little bit nervous about that because – Everybody tries to get off to such a, a fast start because yeah. they want to impress. I don't care who you are. You want to impress. Sure. And, and with a bigger swing, sometimes you get off to a slow start, and it's difficult to come out of it. With him, I don't see any of that because that's not a part of his game. I think he's going to fit in right away. I think he wants to impress, and I think that he's going to run a lot because that's a big part of his game. Kevin just showed me uh, a text, and we were talking about Tracy Ringlesby not voting for Edgar Martinez year after year after year. Just got a text from uh, Randy Adamak. 
Tracy voted for Edgar this year. Oh. <laughs> that is did he outstanding. Really? When did that Finally, come in? Tracy. That is awesome. Well, he's not the only one. T.R. Oh, Sullivan voted for him for the first time. Barry Bloom, and there was a very spirited debate with him on Twitter last year, respectful. And that's that's one of the cool things about the social media is you can engage people about it. And uh, yeah. Barry didn't vote, has never voted for him last year. Uh, everybody kind of got after him. He said, okay, I'll take a look at the end of, you know, when this is all over. And sure enough, he came back and he gave him his vote this year. John, John Heyman? Nope, didn't. John Heyman has voted for him before, took him off the ballot this year because there wasn't room. I don't so like if you John see, anymore. no, we don't like John Heyman anymore. We'll let like, him know when we see <laughs> him. Sorry, John, I don't like you anymore. It's good to hear from Randy, though. He had surgery on his shoulder and his thumb. He did. So it's, good, so it's good to hear that he's paying attention he right now. <laughs> he had the surgery. Yeah. Randy, hope you're feeling well, buddy. Yeah. Recuperate, take it easy, yep. and no more sliders. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really impressed. Uh, I, I just like what Jerry has done. Uh, last year, you know, 78 wins. You, you just, Jerry and, and Scott never really had their ball club on the field. 17 different starters, 40 different pitchers, 17 different players wound up on the disabled this year, and they still had a shot at that second wild card spot, Mike. Well, I think it'll be interesting watching this club. I, I think of the younger guys, first of all. Hanniger, you mentioned the DL. He was hurt oh. a number of times last year. I mean, yeah. Think about the start that he ended up getting off to last year, which was oh. tremendous. If he could have a healthy season this year um, and go out and play in 150 games, if that's possible for him, you'd like to see what he can do. Uh, ben Gamble, what a surprise he was. He was terrific for him. Yeah. Um, at, now, at, at one point, he was leading the league in hitting. Well, and the, and the thing about it, too, with that on that whole thing with Ben is, is I know, because I can remember in 1993 was my first year going through a full season and getting to play. And I think that that kind of caught up to him a little bit, but now he's aware of it. He knows what's going on. So I don't think you're going to see that drop-off that we saw from him in the second half. I, I think he's going to be just fine. Um, and Mike Zanino, how oh. important he can be to this ball club. We, wow. we really saw a lot of that last year, too. But the one thing for me that um, I've really appreciated when you mentioned Jerry about the club, and, and I don't know how he does it sometimes because it's such a difficult thing to gauge is the bullpen. Yeah. Um, Shannon mentioned the power arms that they have, but they have guys out there that can pitch. And, and that you know, look, in today's game, it's so important. You don't, you, the starters are going fewer and fewer innings all the time. Your bullpen yeah. is critical, More and you have to have guys. For the bullpen. Even on the back end, you have to have guys that, that a couple of guys that can do that job, that can pitch in the eighth inning and even close because Diaz yeah. obviously isn't going to go all the time. So it's important, and that's, that's a, been a real strength for them. And Edwin Diaz, Shannon, you know, you, we had to remind ourselves a number of times this kid was only, what, 22, 23 years of age last year, being a closer at the big league level. And just the previous year, he was a starter, prospect starter in the minor leagues, didn't start relieving until a couple of years ago, about mid-May. And then started relieving. So, uh, you know, of course, bumps of the road. If you're Edwin Diaz or if you're Mariano Rivera, not many for Mariano, but it's still a tough job. And having that year under his belt last year is going to be huge for Edwin this year. I've got a podcast that I do during the week, Boy Howdy, over at the mm-hmm. station at 710. And he tried to say, well, you know, Edwin has had three years in the big. No, no. he has not. And he's like, no. well, it was up the year before. I'm like, no, he's up for a couple months. He just started. Yeah. Last year was Edwin Diaz's first full year as yeah. a closer at any level. Yeah. That was it. And, and one of the things that I'm excited about is he's going to get a full spring training in camp this year. Last yeah. year he left for the WBC. I'm glad he had that, up, that opportunity. It was great uh, what the Puerto Rican team was able to do. But I really think that he, possibly more than anybody, uh, really lost a little something not being able to be in camp the entire spring, not being able to work with Mel every day and kind of go to work on some specifics. And I, I think that's going to help to be there the entire time this well, year, too. Yeah, I would agree with you, Shannon. And the other thing, even though he went through all that last year and had a few bumps, I, I think that that's a healthy thing for a young player. Mm-hmm. And the thing that excites me the most about him, 
aside from being able to throw 100 miles an hour, is the way that he was able to bounce back from mm -hmm. some of those struggles because it's going to happen to everybody, but some guys just can't take it. And you don't know if you have a closer until you go through those bumps, and they yeah. have one in Edwin. Exactly. I mean, this kid is going to be, I think, really something special. How about Nelson Cruz, what he yeah. has done this uh, offseason? You know, in Miami, <laughs> he invited, what, seven guys to get together, including a couple of the new guys, uh, Ryan Healy and D. Gordon, to come on by, Heredia, Paxton, Healy, Gordon, Miranda, and Felix to get together, work out a little bit, get to know one another, who does something like that? The videos are just absolutely fantastic. And I, I talked to Nelson about this a couple of days ago, and he said he had the idea back in spring training. And you know that spring has been all about getting to know you and pulling team together. Well, why not start that sooner, especially for the new guys? So to get Healy in there, to get Gordon in there for a little bit as well was huge. And it wasn't just we're going to work out together. We're going to work out together. We're going to get to know you. We're going to kind of tell you about expectations and who we are as a team. And uh, they had dinner at Felix's house yesterday. There was a big picture of them all around the pool table, and it was just a great thing to nice. see. I mean, everybody, you know, Paxton was there, and Felix was there. Miranda had the little twins there with him, and Toppy was there, Felix's dog. But it was just kind of – you've not seen Felix's dog? Uh. Uh, Mike, do not break the set. <laughs> what are you the table. doing? <laughs> Survived it, though. Didn't even spill the coffee. But, um, yeah, you know, boy. to Good see, it, it's great to see them working, but it's yeah. just also so fantastic to see Nelson Cruz. And we see what he does every day just as right. a presence. But to, to have, to take that kind of ownership yeah. to, to gather guys in the offseason and do that is huge. How about that? Especially bring those young guys in right away. Hey, we are live here at the Mariners Team Store at Bellevue Square. Come on by. We've got a cheering cast of thousands here already. And, Next few minutes, we're going to visit with Mariners GM Jerry DePoto. He's done a great job over the last couple of years. Excited about 2018. We're going to be back with the GM Jerry DePoto right after these messages. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And welcome back to our holiday edition of Hot Stove Baseball, live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue Square. A lot of activity going on, cheering cast of thousands. Rick Riz, Mike Blauer, Shannon Dreher, and producer engineer Kevin Kremen. Now we have a chance to visit with Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto, just back from the uh, uh, winter meetings in Orlando, Florida. Very, very busy four days. Everybody is there, uh, you know, talking baseball and getting ready for the 2018 season. Jerry is calling us from Hawaii, right? Nice. All the way from Hawaii. Jerry, how you doing? You wound up from Orlando to Hawaii. What's the weather like uh, in our 50th state? Shockingly, a little nippy and somewhat rainy. No way. <laughs> Come on. No way. Well, Jerry, I'll tell you what, thanks for joining us here. I know you were busy at the winter meetings. Everybody's doing their Christmas shopping right now. And that's what uh, all 30 general managers were doing in Orlando, getting things ready. And a lot of things were going on and looking for the expensive items and the bargains. How would you describe your four days? Because I thought you did a heck of a job over that four-day period uh, reshaping and uh, retooling this uh, ball club in 2018. Yeah, you know, I, I look at our offseason in total, you know, dating back to really when the 2017 season wound up. and. Some of the additions that we've been able to make, uh, particularly here in the last few weeks, but adding Ryan Healy to play first base for us and, and I think picking up D. Gordon and shifting him to center field is, is going to be both an exciting thing and a, and a potentially impactful thing for our team. He's a, he is some kind of electric player on the field. Yeah. We've been able to, to navigate 
some depth around the pitching staff, and, and I think we've particularly been able to improve from 1 to 13 on our pitching staff and, and then hopefully create enough depth at the, at the Tacoma level to start protecting the club in the event that there's the need for downtime. We learned the value of that. Jerry and D. Gordon, from what I understand, that uh, was kind of some of the deals you've been working on forever, and that was one that kind of came up a little bit quicker. How did that come about, and, and how did you see him in center field? You know, I, I checked in with Michael Hill, the, the president of baseball ops with the Marlins, early in the offseason, and, you know, just checking in on his players and, and determine what they were looking to do. There was a little bit of uncertainty with the Marlins early in the offseason in regard to which direction they were going to take. But we did talk about a number of their players, and and I certainly expressed interest, particularly in D and and in some of their outfielders. And as the offseason progressed, we continued to stay in touch periodically. And right about the time we were in Orlando for our first trip for the general manager's meeting, we uh, touched base again. And you know, as, as one thing led to another, and once we got through with the, the visit to Los Angeles to sit with Shohei Otani, we were able to reconnect. And, you know, Mike had a lot going on this offseason with, with Dee Gordon, with Giancarlo Stanton, now with Marcelo Suna. And fortunately, we were on the front end of it. I think we had, uh, you know, at least we had the, the ability to push this across sooner than later, and it allowed us to go into the, the winter meetings with some certainty as to how our position player team set up. Jerry, one of the things that we were talking about before you came on is just how busy you have been since taking over the job as general manager, and unfortunately some of that, a lot of it really has to do because of injury. But as you think about last year, and I know you worked all the way through the season, the season was over as you're getting ready for the winter meetings and you're having your meetings with your staff, um, maybe a couple of positives that you take away from last year and then a couple of things that you would like to see the club improve on. Well, you know, the positives are, A, I think we have a really good team returning. It's a, you know, a, a lot of people tend to think about the things we don't have instead of the things we do have. And that was very easy to appreciate last year, particularly the, the what was the normal productivity of Nelson Cruz and another strong season from Robinson Cano and, and up to and including what he did in the All-Star game, which was exciting and what was a, you know, a down summer for us. Kyle Seeger really turning it on in the second half and picking us up. The fact that we picked up a shortstop who hit 300 and, you know, sneaking up on you, some of those younger players, Zanino and Hanniger and Ben Gamble. It's, it's, it's easy to remember the last four or five weeks for Ben and, and maybe tougher to remember that we went into the middle of the summer and he was leading the American league in hitting. So you know, we're, we're really excited about the young position players. We're excited about our position player club and feel like we've, you know, the, one of the things we learned positively was was that we did create some pitching depth, picking up guys like Mike Leake and Erasmo Ramirez and Marco Gonzalez and others. Uh, the bullpen got deeper with additions like David Phelps and, and anticipate that that's going to get even deeper here in, in the days to come. So, you know, we're pretty excited about the, the group we have coming into the season. And, you know, it shouldn't get lost in the weeds. We are, we're generally still a team that, that is – roughly about 29 years old on average and we've got seven players who've made all-star teams in the last handful of years and that's uh i don't know how many teams can boast that and and still generally be (laughs) poo-pooed so i i I think 2017 was encouraging in that regard and the areas i would like to see us get better the the easiest answer to that question blow is the the base running It, it was awful in 2017 and you know, it cost us runs, it cost us games, and it's an area we're intent on improving. 
Scott and the staff have really put a lot of focus on it in their off-season planning. And hopefully, you know, bringing on a player like D. Gordon just by himself increases our value on the bases. And, and a healthy Gene Segura should really create some electricity as well, as will Mitch Hanniger, frankly, being out there more often than he has been. And the other thought, thing would just be staying healthy. You know, obviously yeah. 2017 was a tough year for us, and we've taken some steps to try to improve uh, the way we monitor our health and, and prevent injury if possible, and, and hopefully that's the direction we'll head. When you talk about the base running, one of the things that, that I spent a lot of time talking about last year, and you mentioned a couple of the players, but when you have young players like Gamel and you have young players like Hanniger and Segura who wants to run and was banged up quite a bit last year, so I think that affected him too. How much of that led to the base running and the struggles um, as opposed to maybe just kind of focusing more on it? Yeah, I, I do think that there's there is a benefit by having you know healthy and, and rested Mitch Haniger and Gene Segura in the lineup every day. Ben Gamble can run the bases. D. Gordon is one of the best base runners in the league. Uh, and not just the base stealing, just what he's able to do on the bases. So, you know, you add that, that's roughly you know, closing in on 50% of your lineup with guys that are good to dynamic base runners. And you know, Sometimes to get the power, you're going to have to give up a little bit of the fleet-footedness that you'd like on the bases. We just need to run smart. And to me, that's focus. It's we made too many outs on the bases last year with with lackadaisical play or just lack of focus, and you know that can be improved. And we we need to focus on it. I know our players realize how important it is, and I think they were a little embarrassed by how bad it got last year. To be frank, Jerry, at the, at the winter meeting, it seems like in in past years and most seasons that uh, there's the free agent signings and then the trades come along. But this year there weren't that many free agent signings. Hardly any, and then there were the trades. Was that a little uh, major difference in, in this year's winter meetings that uh, we didn't see the really big free agent signings? You know, right? I, was, I think they're all Scott Boros to Mariners. <laughs> What's that, Jerry? I said I think they're all just trying to emulate the Mariners. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I think the you know free agency in recent years has has been a little bit different than it used to be. You know, with the with the onset of many teams locking up their best young players to extensions and buying out their their first handful of free agent years, especially with the pitching, uh, you're you're seeing more and more that there are fewer premier players that are reaching free agency, and and when they do reach free agency, they they might be a little bit deeper into their career, or a little bit older uh, by the calendar. So, you know, free agency is not as as appealing as it was maybe as recently as five or ten years ago but you're always going to have impact players on the free agent market it's just not the volume that there used to be uh, i think this year what you're seeing either in discussing trade or with the the relievers the big commodity on the market is, has been the bullpen uh, you've seen over these last couple of years the way the game has shifted it's most noticeable in the postseason, but it's truly all year long. The the number of innings pitched in the league is is dropping for a starting pitcher, and pretty severely. Now we we've we very quickly went from 50 55 starters in the league with with 200 innings down to about 15. So it's uh, it, we've had year over year fewer pitchers qualifying for the ERA title, which is just about 165 innings than ever in the history of baseball. So. Yeah, it's a, the game is changing. The way we use the pitching staff is changing, and, and I think you're seeing that reflected in, in how 
hot a commodity the bullpen pitchers were through the early part of this this offseason or free agent period. Jerry, it would seem that you've been ahead of the curve trying to kind of build that uh, pitching staff uh, all the way back to last year, looking toward this year and looking toward the future. I don't think it's just something that you do in the off season. But with all that said, the number one question I am getting from people to ask you is please ask him, uh, how active are you in looking for another starting pitcher at this point? Yeah, frankly, not that active. You know, if if we have an opportunity to make another addition, we will. But, uh, but and you mentioned it, Chan. And if if you go back to August of of last year, you know, picking up Erasmo Ramirez on on what is effectively a very affordable two year deal, uh, picking up Mike Leake for three for thirty three with an option. It, those are those are free agent signings to a degree. Uh, and that's those are those are veteran starters who are healthy, capable of taking the ball, and you know you add them to to James Paxton and Felix Hernandez, and, and we feel like that is that's a, a starting four, and we want to have a young, flexible back of the rotation that gives us the ability to to change when needed, and we're not going to be opposed to running for periods of time a six-man rotation to make sure that everybody has a little bit of a rest at midseason if they need it. So. You know, the combination of the moves we made at the tail end of the season and just being patient through the market. But I said at the start of this season that we were looking for impact. It may come in the form of, of bullpen and it may come in the rotation. But there's a, the, again, you, you do what you can do to make the 13-man staff or the 12-man staff, however it turns out, as strong and as long as you can. And, and that might come via the bullpen rather than the starters. Visiting with Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto here in Hot Stove. Right now he's on a sandy beach in Hawaii. We're going to be back. I'm guessing, Jerry. You better be. <laughs> Talking baseball 2018 for the Mariners. And uh, we'll be back with GM Jerry DePoto right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, give the gift of Mariners baseball this holiday season. Single-game tickets are on sale now, which means you can purchase seats at some of the biggest games of 2018, including opening night, fireworks nights, and more. Stop by Mariners.com today to pick up tickets for the Mariners fan on your list. We've got a lot of fans here in Bellevue at the Bellevue Square Mariners team store. We're broadcasting live our Hot Stove League show during this holiday season. Rick Riz along with Mike Blauer, Shannon Dreyer, and producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, our special guest during the first hour of Hot Stove Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto talking about uh, the uh, the winter meetings over the last four days in Orlando, getting ready for 2018. Jerry, before we talk a little bit more about your ball club, uh, I just want to ask you about your your veteran designated hitter, Nelson Cruz. We, we found out uh, not that long ago that uh, he, he gathered some guys together, including some of the new guys, D. Gordon and Ryan Healy, along with Guillermo Heredia and James Paxton, and uh, uh, Ariel Miranda Felix in Miami to work out, to get together. What, is, what does this say about your veteran designated hitter about wanting to get ready for the season and, and bringing the new guys in and getting ready for another season? Uh, Nelly was talking about this for months before the season came to a close, and you know, he, he really wanted to connect with his teammates. And, and I think on a couple of levels, one, it gives them a chance to stay in touch throughout the off season. We do have uh, more than a handful of guys that, that are living down in, in you know, the, the South and particularly in South Florida, but 
you know, between there and the Dominican Republic, we've got a number of guys. And, you know, Nelly started talking about this as, as early as the all-star break is something he really wanted to do to try to create a little bit of togetherness to, to get them into a, a normal workout regime a little earlier in the off season. Uh, this gave them a chance to check up on each other, which I think is a pretty cool thing for, for a leader. And, and knowing that there are a number of guys, you hit on some, but there were there were another handful that were down there as well that are all traveling during the holidays to go spend time together. I know Segura was there, Ben Gamble was there. It's it's been a it's it's very refreshing to see all the guys gather up like that. And you know, it also gave Lorena Martin an opportunity to to pop down there and spend a little bit of time with the guys and and get an idea of what they're about and and what their kind of training preferences are, so that we can. Uh, work together to try to find a program that works for each one of them. Jerry, we were talking about this earlier, and, and I was really, really excited to watch the postseason. And, and, and the thing that I took away with it from it was, one, the game looks like it's in pretty good shape overall, and there's a lot of young talent in this game right now. We mentioned a number of them that are on the Mariners, but what were your thoughts as you watched the postseason? I thought this was about as fun a postseason, really, these each of the last two years. So for the viewer, for the fan, just fun postseasons. I, I would have preferred to be playing in it instead of watching it. But, you know, at the end of the day, so many great young players, and the Dodgers and the Astros, New York Yankees, these teams are loaded. And, you know, you, you turn around and you see the Aaron Judges and Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve and, it, it, it really starts to add up. Some of what was running around on the field, it was just fun to watch. I, I thought the way the game has changed, uh, the off season was so much about about high velocity pitching, usually out of the bullpen and and home runs. <laughs> it was uh, you could boil it down to who had the best bullpen and the most power, oftentimes, and and that's who was surviving. So yeah, and it's a copycat sport. You will see teams start to emulate that in every way they can. Jerry, at the end of the season, uh, you said, and I think Scott said it as well, and I think you, you've kind of given some hints here and there, that you'd be kind of handling the pitching a little bit differently. You mentioned that there will be times you're comfortable with going to six men this year. What, what else can you tell us about how that's going to go? You know, it was a focus for us going into this off season to make sure that we were as deep as we could be. Uh, you know, with we mentioned Felix and Paxton, Mike Leake and, and Erasmo Ramirez, Add Ariel Miranda, Marco Gonzalez, Andrew Moore. Uh, we, we've got a number of guys that that gained experience last year that I think is going to really benefit us. And and we have been really focused on the multi-inning reliever, uh, someone who can go out and give us more than three outs on the days where it's needed. We feel like some of that is going to be answered internally with the return of David Phelps. And we do have Edwin Diaz, who's capable of doing that himself if need be. And, you know, Nick Vincent is more of a one-inning guy. We, we see him as more of a three-out, maybe four-in-a-pinch type guy. And, you know, there are other additions that we've made that we feel like are really going to help shorten the game for us and put our pitchers in a position where they're not being asked to pitch three and four days in a row because we're just a deeper group. And some of that includes some of the younger acquisitions, guys like Nick Rumblow and Sean Armstrong, who are have the ability to pop on and off the staff, have some major league uh, experience and have really good stuff. And in the case of Rumbelow, you're talking about mid mid to upper 90s with a hammer. And and Sean Armstrong has roughly punched out about 12 hitters per nine through the course of his AAA run. So it's a it's it's a good group down there. We have young electric arms in Pazos and Altavilla and Rumbelow and Armstrong, and and we have veteran 
They've set up guys that have multi-inning capability leading up to what we think is one of the best young closers in the game. That's a good group. Jerry, um, I, was, I was really curious. Ryan Healy, we had a chance to see a lot of him, obviously, coming over from the A's. How did that work where you were able to pick him up, and what did you like about him? And maybe some of the fans, obviously, we, we concentrate so much on the Mariners. Can you talk about him a little bit as a player? Yeah, and my biggest fear with Ryan Healy, frankly, is that we're, we're not in the league anymore to – to allow him to beat up on us so his productivity may actually fall off <laughs> because he gave us a particularly hard time these last couple of years but you know ryan is 25 going on 26 years old he's thrown up close to 900 plate appearances in the big league and he's and he's hit 40 homers or thereabouts 38 uh 25 year old last season who hit 25 homers is he's not a particularly patient hitter in regard to drawing a walk but he makes a he makes average to better contact. He's a 280 career hitter as a major leaguer. He's a 300 career hitter in the minors. So I, I think what what he does not have in terms of what I would call advanced approach at the plate or or a patient approach at the plate, he makes up for in general hitability and big power. So it's a, it's he's a young, affordable, flexible, and versatile player who, when moved to first base last year, got pretty strong reviews for the defense at first base uh, after shifting over from third. So we feel like we're tapping into what should be the best years of his career. He's 25, has already had a 25-homer season, is, is running out something in the neighborhood of an 800 OPS as a major leaguer, and I don't see any reason why he shouldn't get better. It's a, there's still a lot of road in front of Ryan Healy, and we're glad he's going to be in our uniform. I think that was an outstanding pickup. Jerry, you mentioned the young lady's name, Lorena Martin, uh, in her new role. And, and I saw you on the Major League Baseball Network a few days ago taking, talking about, uh, you know, uh, having the control of, part of the, the body and mind of the organization, you know, that not only just the, the training part, but everything that goes uh, along with that and associated with that. Can you tell us a little bit about Lorena and her new role with the, uh, the organization this year? Yeah, Lorraine, is, she's very talented, uh, incredibly smart. She's a Ph.D. in exercise physiology. She's got a, a number of different uh, focuses. She's a certified athletic trainer, strength coordinator, and and you name it. She's got a master's in, in sports psychology. And we're fortunate to have been able to snap her up. She was running performance analytics for the Los Angeles Lakers. In addition to all the different disciplines I just mentioned, she's also a a biostatistician and uh, it's a it's pretty unique skill set and she will be overseeing all of our medical training uh, PT the physical therapists our strength and conditioning coordinators our mental skills and our nutritionist uh, bringing effectively the way I've described it is she's bringing everything to do with the player's body and mind under one umbrella and you know part of her day-to-day -day is going to be staying in touch with each of the players understanding where they are and what their needs might be, what their physical capability is that day, and then dialing in directly with Scott and the staff to make sure they're aware of, of where each player is, who may need a day off, and, and sometimes scheduling a day off two or three days in advance just to make sure we're preventing injury when a player is starting to get fatigued. So we feel like there's many ways that she can help us improve. And uh, as, as we figured it out last year, we were – something in the neighborhood of, of 1,200 to 1,250 DL days missed last year, roughly $43 million in lost salaries. 
and some of our best players on the DL for a significant period of time. And, and if Lorena can help keep them on the field, we should we should pretty quickly move north of our 78 win tonal from last year without adding it, without adding a new player. Uh, that's, that's in advance of going out and finding Ryan Healy and D Gordon and others. It's should just having Lorena on board to help navigate this. If we can, if we can get 25% of our DL time chopped down, we're in great shape. Jerry, uh, we're, go- we're going to have to let you go here in the next uh, few seconds, but uh, you're in Hawaii. Are you scouting anybody there? Is it vacation time now after a busy last uh, couple of months? <laughs> There's, I, I could I could probably scout a couple of thousand, but I, you know at the at the end of the day, we're this is one of the things we do every year as a family is I kind of the, the one time of the year that I know I'm going to have a little bit of time off. So we we, we have a time down share down in, in Hawaii, and we we come down and we spend our Christmas here annually, and you know we've done it again. I we we my son came and met us at the airport, and we all flew down this morning. So excited to to take a little break. Enjoy your time there, buddy. You you deserve it. We'll see you when you get back. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. You got it, guys. Have fun. Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto all the way from Hawaii, and we're going to get ready for the second hour of our Hot, hot Stove Show live from the Mariners Team Store here at Bellevue Square. So come on by and say hello in the second hour. We're going to visit with Dan the Man Wilson. A lot to talk about with Dan. And this reminder, hey, our first spring game is coming up. Dan just walked in, as we mentioned his name. On February 23rd against the San Diego Padres in Peoria, Arizona. Airtime is going to be 1210. That's going to be our first game of the 2018 Cactus League season. The season opener this year is going to be about four or five days early on March the 29th, and it's going to be at home 710 against the Cleveland Indians out at Safeco Field. Pitchers and catchers are going to report to spring training down in Peoria on February the 14th. First workout is going to be on the 15th. So that wraps up our first hour. Stay tuned for hour number two coming up right after this. Welcome to the hot stove. Going and going. Goodbye, baseball. Nelson Cruz. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The Kings 1-2 swing and a miss. He gets them whiffing on a changeup. Let's fire up the hot stove and talk some Mariners baseball. Here's your host, Rick Riz. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Mariners Team Store. We are live in Bellevue Square getting ready for the holiday season, our first hot stove edition here in uh, 2017 as we wind down the year, get ready for a brand-new season in 2018. Rick Riz along with Mike Blauer, Shannon Dreher, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, always great to have Dan the Man Wilson stop on by. He is here at the store tonight. Danny, it's great to see you getting ready for Christmas and getting the gifts, gifts for the kids and Annie and everybody? Yeah, absolutely. We're ready to go. And, you know, as, as you guys know, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Dan, it doesn't matter if it's in the booth at Safeco Field or here in Bellevue Square. It's always a pleasure. Well, Speaking of that, why weren't you in the booth last year? It's, well, nice, to, it's nice to have you by and you give me a yeah. break every now and then. It's nice. <laughs> what, what were you doing? Well, I'm, I'm hoping to be around a little bit more this year, so that, that'll be good. And uh, I know you were busy in the organization. Can yeah. you tell everybody what you were Yeah, and, and, and uh, I, I will be doing some more of that again uh, in, in the player development area, more in the minor leagues, Tacoma, Everett, uh, that kind of thing, working with the catchers down there. And and, uh, uh, and then hopefully we'll do some broadcasting and, and uh, be around uh, that as well and, and uh, looking forward to to doing that a little bit more than I have in the past. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be anxious to see you guys more this uh, this coming Perfect. season. Perfect. Yeah, we missed you, Dan. Well, hey, I missed you guys. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about I, – I, I think catching is the toughest job on the field. you got so much on your plate. You're handling, 
you know, five guys on a starting staff. You're handling, handling seven guys uh, in down in that bullpen or eight guys down there in that bullpen trying to get through them tough spots night after night after night. Uh, what made you such an outstanding catcher? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, but I think um, I think being able to, to work with your pitching staff, get along with your pitching staff, understand your pitching staff is a big part of it and, and um, understanding personalities and, and those kinds of things. And so uh, that's one of the things that, that I try to do is, is get to know them as best as, as, best I could. Uh, I think that helped, you know, just once you develop a rapport and you develop communication between the two of you, mm-hmm. I think things can, can go smoothly after that. I think when there's a lot of guessing between what the catcher wants and what the pitcher wants, and then there's push pull, I think that makes it a little bit difficult. But uh, I, 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 thankfully had some great pitchers to work with which you know over the years has helped and and you know you, you look at a guy like uh jamie who i got a chance yeah. to catch for like 10 years you, you get to know them pretty pretty well and and uh, you can go out there and you, you're both on the same page uh before before you go out there so like, you know it's just to me that's a big part of catching and and uh being able to to work with the staff and understand those guys uh you know top to bottom what do you see when you look at mike zanino right now um, I, I'm just, you know, it makes me smile, really, when I think about Mike and, and what he's been able to accomplish and what he accomplished last year. And, and you know, he's been through some, you know, the toughest of the tough and, and having to go down to Tacoma and, and sort of build his way back, uh, especially offensively. I think the defense has always been there. I don't think there's a question about that. Uh, but it was the offense. And I think to see him get to the point where he did this, this season, um, we, we all saw the electric, energy that comes off that barrel i mean it's just unbelievable when he touches the ball it jumps um so i i, I love to see the fact that he, he worked hard he's put in the time he put into a lot of adjustments physically and mechanically to his swing and all that has really worked worked itself out and and uh, i'm really looking forward to him coming in this year having a complete season and uh, I think just hitting the ground running and, and really having a successful year. It's kind of neat when you look at how things are stacking up for the roster this year. It appears that they are not going to add another kind of veteran backstop as that safety net. I, I think it's Mike's team right now. Yeah, and I think he has the ability to, to take the team on his shoulders a little bit. I think we've seen uh, in the clubhouse the kind of person he is, the kind of player he is, the kind of leader he can be. Um, and I think the confidence is there now that he can kind of, you know, step into that role pretty comfortably and, and – uh, I look to see that this year more and more develop, and, and uh, uh, he's, uh, I, I think he's poised to, to have a really big year, and I think you're right. The, the leadership will, will come along with that as well. Dan, I'm curious, your, your thoughts. Obviously, the game constantly evolves and changes, and it's a much different game um, now than even when you and I played, which really wasn't that long ago. Right. Um, but you talk about going into the minor league systems, and I, I think about my journey through the minor leagues, and I made every stop along the way and played winter ball and did all those different things. In your mind, what's different now compared to when we went through it? That's a good question. I, I, I think, um, you know, I, there, there's a lot of things. You can look at a lot of different areas. Um, I think that the, the preparation that athletes get today in, in the minor league system is much different than what we had. I think uh, it's much more monitored. I think that the physical work, uh, these guys get the, you know, even the off-season workouts, the, the in-season workouts, um, all the, the physical preparation that goes into a season is much different than it used to be for us. Uh, I think the mental preparation is, is in the same boat. I think, you know, in, in terms of the Mariners, we have uh, three or four full-time mental skills coach, coaches that work throughout the minor leagues, and, and uh, these guys are, are working a lot on the mental side of the game, which I think is good because, as we know, 
that's a big part of this right. game is you know is, is the mental uh, ability of a player so uh, that's a that's a huge change I think they look at things like nutrition where we never had those kinds of tools and, right. and opportunities when we were coming up to the system so there's a lot of work that goes in for these guys uh, preparation wise in the minor leagues that just didn't exist uh, I remember coming into Cincinnati my first September call up uh, we had a part-time strength and conditioning coach at that time and and you look at teams now that every minor league team has a full-time uh, strength yeah. and conditioning coach so things have really really changed in terms of that well and the information too and yeah I, and i think about this because obviously I, I work all the games on tv so i'm at the big league level i don't see the minor league guys and i constantly think about this all the time and that is there's so much information mm-hmm. and i know from talking to scott and talking to jerry the amount of information in that's available to the players and I wonder when I see these young guys get a chance to come to the big leagues, how much have they already been exposed to that, or is it just overwhelming to them once yeah. they get there? And that's a great point. And I think that's one thing that, that, that we talk about a lot is, is, you know, how much information can we give these guys? Because as you know, when you're younger, information can sort of slow you down and bog you down a little bit. Um, but at the same point, when they get to the big leagues, you don't want them to be surprised. So we, I, I think that's one area that's definitely grown as well is um, much more information out there for the minor league kids. Uh, uh, and, and that's, you know, as, as you go up from A ball to double A AA to triple A, the amount of information that you take in um, kind of increases uh, with the idea being that when you get to the big leagues, it's not this, you know, mountain or landslide of information that you don't know what to do with. Danny, as a catcher, how, how did you separate the catching side from the offense side? Because a catcher is busy when he gets to the ballpark. He's in the meetings with uh, his pitcher that day and the guys are you know hitting in the cages then they go out and take pp then you go out there and it's all oh, you know you should be able to hit you're in the batter's wife but you get all these other things that are on your plate how did you separate one from the other to do both jobs well um i you know for me it was just you know i, I felt like when i was on the bench uh well a lot of times you're not going to end up hitting in that inning so usually when i was on the bench i was there more for the pitcher uh, and, and would try to sit with him. I would try to talk to him between innings, kind of get a get a, a read on where he's at and how we are doing with the game plan. And so my main focus was um, defense and, and working with the pitching staff. When I knew I was going to hit, I'd, I'd take off my gear, and that was kind of my physical sign that, like, look, okay, I can okay. put that aside for just no. a minute. I'm putting my a batting helmet on, right, and, uh, and I'm going to go up there and hit and try to do something offensive. And uh, usually that ended pretty quickly, and I got back in and put my gear back on. <laughs> but, Come on. But, uh, you know, that was kind of my physical, like, key. Like, okay, now I can kind of go yeah. focus offensively. And and, uh, and, and and you think about it, that's really just a fraction of the amount of time that, that you're in a ball game, and, and it's mostly defense for a catcher. You're, you're such a nice guy. On the bench, did you ever get upset with a pitcher between innings, you know, about yeah, how things sure. are going? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, from yeah. time to time. So Everybody nice. needs a little, you know. Yeah. I've seen it. Have you? Have you blown? Yeah, it's the rare. nicest man in the world. I, I would agree with that. You know, you know I what I'm thinking about, Danny though? You were asking those questions and listening to Dan's answer to it. Talk a little bit about your relationship with Lou Pinella, oh. what he meant to you. Because I, I think about it, it doesn't happen often, obviously. Now you're in the Mariners Hall of Fame, and you played for a long time, successful career. But I think all the way back when you first came over, and I would look at you sometimes as we're oh. sitting on that bench <laughs> after you just were chewed out again and wonder how you were going to work your way through it. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I, you know, there were times where I wanted to put my batting helmet on when I was sitting on the bench because I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, you know, it's pretty well documented. Lou was – he had a short patience with pitchers and, and didn't like to talk to pitchers much, but he would talk to pitchers through the catchers. 
and uh, we, we took on a lot of the frustration. And, and uh, uh, I, I think, you know, there were times where I was, you know, a, a little um, uh, weighed down by it all, I would say. And, and it was pretty overwhelming at times as a young player, for sure. Uh, but I think that, you know, over time and, and as I look back, you know, those were the, uh, the things where you, you learned a lot from it too and, and made me a better player in the long haul and, and uh, made me sort of um, respect that part of the game a little bit more because it was, it was a big part of the game. I mean, for him, if the guy got a base hit, it was the wrong pitch. It, it didn't really matter what the pitch was or how you'd set him up or where the pitch was. It was just yeah. the wrong pitch. And, uh, you know, it did get you to think about, okay, what am I doing with my fingers? And, and uh, you know, that was that was kind of the grand positive to it all. But it was bumpy at times, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, I, I could just remember many times uh, watching the opposing team. Some guy hit a home run, and Dan, would had, he would give a great target all the time. He would be, you know, down and away, glove down there. And then all of a sudden you see that glove start to drift back to the <laughs> yeah. middle of the plate. Yeah. And this thing gets hit out. And I could always remember Lou yelling at him about whatever pitch it was, a curveball. <laughs> and Danny, I, I just thought to myself one time, tell him, I didn't tell him to throw it down the middle. Yeah. Dave Valley Dave Dave <laughs> told Lou that in spring training. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, and Richie Amaral, bless his heart, was my was my locker mate. And he kind of he listened to me a lot through a lot of those times. And, you know, we had these things set up. You know, why don't you just say this to him? Why don't you just say that to him? But it never could never do it, but, you know, uh, uh, it was, again, it was something that made me a better player in the long I, I think the one thing with, one time. I think the one thing with, with Lou that I appreciated, and I found this out right away, was one, he's going to find out how tough you were mentally. Right. Of course. But more than anything, he's the one that really made me really think about what I was doing and why I was doing yep. it. Because so many times he would ask you, why did you do that? I better have an answer. Yeah. yeah. Where before that, I never did. I just played the game. Yeah. So I, I really thank him. And for that's that. the thing, you know. Again, that's the thing about Lou that that I really respected is is you brought your A game every single day because that's what he demanded out of you, and yeah. and uh, you know that's that's why he got yeah. the best out of his players, no question. Visiting with a man, Dan the Man Wilson, along with Shannon Dreyer and Mike Flowers here on Hot Stove Live from the Mariners Team Store at Bellevue Square. We're going to be back with more with Dan Wilson right after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, this holiday season, stop by the Mariners Team Store. We're here tonight in Bellevue Square for the largest selection of exclusive Mariners apparel and game-used memorabilia with five convenient locations, including Safeco Field, downtown Seattle at 4th and Stewart, Bellevue Square, where we're tonight uh, broadcasting live, Hot Stove Baseball, Alderwood Mall, and Westfield South Center. You're sure to find something for everyone on your list. Dan Wilson is uh, looking around the store right now, getting ready to buy us Christmas gifts. Rick Riz, along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, Dan the Man Wilson, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen. I thought he retired, but he's still still with us. (laughs) He is still with us, Dan. Uh, Before we talk a little bit more baseball, it is Christmas. Yes. It's the Christmas season. As mm-hmm. a kid growing up in Chicago, what was the best gift you ever got as a kid from Santa Claus? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, well, let me just tell you this. This was not from Santa Claus, but I, my, my grandfather uh, had this. He and I had this little thing. He said, if, if I got him a dozen golf balls, he's, I remember, I'll still remember their Wilson K-28 golf balls. Uh-huh. He would get me uh, a catcher's mitt. Christmas. This is when I was little. I was probably five, five, six yeah. years old, and uh, so he got me a, a catcher's mitt, which I still have. It's an you old, still have it's it. an old McGregor catcher's mitt, wow. tiny. But that was one I of the things. It. 
Yeah, maybe you did. Yeah. You and I played catch with yeah, my, right. my glove. Well, that thing was my Nelson. That Fox. thing was even older. I know it. I'm older than you. But anyway, that was uh, that was one of my more memorable Christmases. <laughs> Catcher's that, uh, Yeah, and I got him his golf balls. So there you go. Well, you got the mint. Win-win. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Everybody was happy. Yeah, visiting with Dan the Man Wilson, Shannon. Dan, when it kind of. Uh, when you look at what the Mariners have going into next season and, and you look at the pitching staff, what do you kind of have see as the strengths of this group right now? Um, well, I, I, I like, a, I mean, the, t- to me, there's a lot of positives to look at. And, and uh, I think, you know, one of the things is, is to see Pax and how far he came and, and how quickly he's come and, and uh, really kind of has stepped forward as being sort of the leader in the staff at this point. And, and uh uh, it's really nice to see that, and, and he's got the ability to do that. So when you when you look at a guy like that, uh, there's a lot of upside and a lot of positives to think about with Pax and, and how far he's come. Uh, Felix obviously is it seems like has really putting in a lot of different kind of uh, work this uh, this off season, and, and the flexibility is becoming an issue for him. And he's continuing to adjust as you as you age in this game, you have to make those kinds of adjustments. So. He seems to be uh, a guy that's going to, you know, obviously come out and, and be ready to go. So when you have some veteran leadership and you have the righties and the lefties that you want, um, I think you're going to be in great shape. And, and uh, to, But it's important to have that guy at the, at the top of your rotation uh, and, and have that guy leading your staff in, and be out there every five days. And hopefully Paxman stay healthy enough uh, to be that guy uh, throughout the season. Dan, I'd be curious. We talked to Jerry earlier in – I asked him about a couple of the positives from last year and something that was a negative, and he immediately went right to the base running for the team last year, and he said that it was just not good at all. And he talked about Scott and the staff. Uh, basically, they're going to talk about that in spring training and work on that. Right. In your mind, what can you do to improve on your base running? I, I, you know, it's one of those things. There's so many things that you are looking at in spring training. These guys individually are trying to get ready for a season, then you're trying to get things together, for, and then you have to work on the base running. In your mind, what can you do to improve? Well, I, I think there's, you know, there's a couple of things. Obviously, it's, it's, you can't tell a guy to be faster. That's right. what doesn't happen. Um, and, and, but, but really, as, as you and I both know, and as, as people that follow the game know, you don't have to be fast to be a good base runner. And I think. Uh, it's more. You and I both know that, right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who would win in the race. But it wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> Might uh, take a while. Yeah, it'll it'll take a while to finish. But anyway, uh, I think that that it, it'll be more of a mental approach to me. And I think one of the things that you uh, that is so valuable in baseball, especially from a mental standpoint, is anticipation. And and when you're on the bases, being able to anticipate what may come your way as far as base running is concerned. And I think that's going to be something that they will talk about. I think, you know, and, and something as small as taking better leads. I think being able to get get the uh, a little bit extra in your lead, maybe take a, a better secondary lead that gets you a little bit more distance toward the next base, right. gets a little bit more momentum. And those things, uh, you know, can make a difference. Because as you know, on bases uh, and, and base running, it's, it's usually it's not a big – uh, difference between being out and being safe, and yeah. it, it, every little advantage makes a difference. I think for myself, just watching it, um, and especially this year, I, I think about we talked about earlier all the information that goes out there. And as I'm watching these games and talking about the games, I wonder sometimes that with all that stuff that's going on with these guys today, and obviously some can take in more than others, right. but this simple things of, of thinking ahead of game situation: what is the score? What's the inning? How many right. outs? who can throw, who cannot throw, what is your own ability, the things that you're talking about. Because I, I've made this statement before, and, and, I, and I believe this, that just because you're thrown out doesn't mean it was a bad play on your part. Somebody Correct. maybe made a play because there are so many close plays, and maybe just the situation of the game or the score mm-hmm. dictates you to take a chance. 
but it's when you don't have to take those chances is right. the one that really hurt him this year. And, and that's thinking about all those different things that's happening in the game right now. Yeah, and I, I think you're right, and it brings up a good point, too, is that you don't want to take guys' aggressiveness away either on the bases, and you, you want them to try to take that extra base when they can. You don't want them to be tentative. But at the same time, uh, you know, they've got to be smart about it, and, and they've got to take a better mental approach. I played for a long time, as you did, Blow, and, and I, I'll never forget being on second base. And I was always had to remind myself, okay, there's nobody out, which means I want to get to third base. I mean, it was you constantly have, you have to, to play those things through your head mm-hmm. so you know and you are prepared to do what you need to do when the ball's hit. Yeah. Danny, wanna, I'm sorry, oh, no, Rick. No, I, no, the no, last thing I was going to say, too, is you can also help out your third base coach by just simply running hard yeah. all the time so right. he knows. And because, let him decide. Because he knows who can run and who can't, yep. what your ability yeah. is. And, and then he can make decisions quicker that way, which yeah. will help you as a base runner because sometimes I think you slow down a little bit in the game and it costs you. Yeah, yeah. Danny, I want to swing back to uh, Felix Hernandez. Uh, Felix, you know, 12 years, uh, I, I think this guy is on a, a ha- going to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. Incredible career. We saw him as a 19-year-old kid when he was throwing 96, 97, 98 okay. miles an hour. Now, obviously, it's changed. Uh, uh, 25 entered innings catches up to you 12 years and you evolve, but he is still a great competitor. I think he still can be a big winner at this level because he wants to be, you know, that guy. Uh, what can we look forward to for, from Felix Hernandez this year as he gets older and, and, and your body changes, but he still can be a, a he's still a great competitor, but he still can be a big winner. Yeah, I think so, and I think you know, I think you're right. I think his competitiveness is is one of his you know, strongest attributes, and, and you see him on the mound, you see his emotion, you see the intensity he likes to pitch with, um, you know, that, that's what you want from your starter. You want a guy that wants the ball. I think, you know, I, I think every every starting pitcher that's been in the game a long time has had to reinvent himself. It's just the way, right. the nature of the game, and, and uh, you know, guys don't throw 97 their whole career. It just doesn't happen so that way. About the- yeah, and so you, you have to develop, and I think he's learning how to do that, and, he, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, he, he wants to learn. He wants to be that guy. He wants to continue to be that guy. And uh, that's, what, that's what I like. That's what I look for. I, I think yeah. because he's got that in him, that drive, that desire, that will, the other things will come. Uh, I think I would be worried if he didn't have that. And I think that's what, uh, that's what you'd be nervous about. Dan, if you were to run into a Hall of Fame voter who inexplicably was on the fence about Edgar Martinez, what would you tell him? Uh... There's only one Poppy. There's no question. Um, I, I, you know, I just uh, what he meant. I, I, I think the things you look at. I mean, you can lay all the stats out on the paper you want, but um, the, his ability to hit when it, when it really mattered to me is what made him such a great hitter. And and it, it, to me, it's it's very different when you're on a team that isn't successful, is not going to be in the playoffs. It's one thing to put up numbers for that team, but put, to put up numbers on a team that perennially goes to the playoffs and, and, and is in big situations. And in those situations, he's the guy that delivers. Um, that's a different kind of player, and, and that's the kind of player Edgar was. And I think that, to me, uh, puts him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, because he just could yeah. deliver in the clutch, and he did it over and over and over again in big ways. I, I think so many times I've made this statement, too, that I, I don't think that there's anybody in baseball at the time that could have provided the type of protect, prote- protection that it took or Ken Griffey Jr., with Edgar right. hitting right behind him. Yeah. The opposing manager had a real problem with those two, yeah, and it's yeah. because how great Edgar was. And I think at times the manager had to really think about that because of the type of at-bat Edgar would give you all game. Yeah, and I think if, you know long before uh, numbers of pitches mattered and, and how many pitchers, uh, pitches an at-bat 
uh, a hitter saw. I mean, all those things. I mean, the number of walks, the number of pitchers he grinded out, the number of at-bats. He, you know, would, would go 8 to 10 to 12 pitches. I mean, just the, the value that added yeah. for guys like you and I down at the bottom yeah. of the order blow. I mean, we, yeah. we were seeing guys that were worn out because they had really had to really be on the top of their game uh, in the middle of the lineup. So, yeah, I mean, he just uh, all up and down uh, the lineup, he, he added value. You no mentioned question. we all know the numbers. I was fortunate to be a teammate of his for five seasons. You were there for 12, I believe, with Edgar. Um, something that, you, that impresses you outside of his numbers, uh, whether it's the way that he went to work, showed up every day, and, and maybe something that makes you smile and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I'll take the first question. I don't think anybody worked as hard as Edgar did. And, Agreed. And, and he, he came in every day. Uh, DH is not an easy position to, to, to handle mentally and, and physically, uh, but he, he did it like no other, and it was because he worked so hard at it and, and really had an understanding of his swing and how to approach hitting and uh, he just he, he he understands it so well. I think that's what impressed me. About you could look it. at the clock and know where Edgar was at, right? Yeah. Whether it was two right. o'clock, three yeah. o'clock. He had a routine every day that he just absolutely. did not get away from at all, and yeah. you knew from the time where he was at and what he was doing. Yeah, absolutely. The thing about Gar that makes me smile, yeah, is the fact that we called him Mr. Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about that. He's one of a kind. Uh, things falling down all around uh. him, but he gets that car. Right <laughs> it, it, it's just the best. I think that's that was the beauty, though. Edgar, you know, you, I hear you guys talk about slowing the game down, yeah. you know, and, you know, in, in 95, the base hit off of Jack McDowell. He was looking for the forkball, the splitter, and he waited for it. He took a fastball for a strike, got got forkball, boom, double down the left field line, and uh, hitting off of Rivera. So that, that cutter played into his hand because he hit the ball, the cutter up the middle and into right field. Right. That was the beauty of Edgar Martinez. I mean, you know, he was smart. He knew what he was going to do before he walked in the batter's box. What kind of effect did he have on you as a hitter? Um, well, you know, again, apart from just grinding pitchers out, I mean, I think the ability to, to, to watch him uh, go about his business the way he did, just the leadership that he provided in terms of a, a work ethic uh, for me was, was uh, you know, immeasurable. I mean, to see this guy who was, uh, you know, talented beyond – Words. I mean, the guy was very, very talented, but he didn't just leave it at that. He he, he worked just as hard at yeah. it. And to, when you put talent and hard work together, you, yeah. you get something pretty special, and that's Edgar. And I think uh, that would make any uh, medium kind of a ball player work a little bit harder because it, it, it pays off. And that's what that's what he that's what he did for all of us. Really, yeah. is it's made us better because we worked harder because he worked harder. And Lee Elliott helped you out too, Danny. It's uh, absolutely a great relationship with him. We have to let you go, unfortunately. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you, you and Annie and all the kids. We appreciate you coming down to. The uh, Bellevue uh, Square uh, Mariners team store. Thanks, buddy. Hey, need I say it? It's always yeah. a Merry Christmas, buddy. Merry Christmas. And I'm a, I'm a size medium, buddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Busy with Dan the Man Wilson. Coming up next, we're going to visit with uh, a writer from uh, SportingNews.com, Ryan Spader. We're going to talk about more about Edgar and uh, the ability of getting Edgar into the Hall of Fame. We're going to visit with Ryan Spader coming up on Hot Stove right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app.
And again, welcome back to Hot Stove Baseball. We are broadcasting live tonight from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue Square. Rick Riz along with Mike Blower, Shannon Dreyer, and producer engineer Kevin Kremen. And this reminder, now is the time to get on board for the 2018 season as a Mariners season ticket holder. Whether you're looking to spend quality time with your family and friends or have more face time with your employees and clients, Mariners season tickets provide unmatched value and versatility. Visit Mariners.com slash 18 for more information. The 2018 season going to get started early on March the 29th here at home at Safeco Field against the Cleveland Indians. So that's going to be a great matchup to kick off the year. Well, the second hour of Hot Stove winding down. We're going to visit right now. Online we have uh, with us um, Ryan Spader, who writes for SportingNews.com. And he wrote a great article on why Edgar Martinez should be in the Hall of Fame. We're we're Edgar believers here. We've had a chance to watch him put on a uniform for 18 years, a Mariners uniform, all his entire career in one uniform in one city right here in Seattle. Ryan, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, Where are you joining us uh, this evening? I'm uh, over in the Philadelphia area, and I I really appreciate uh, Shannon and you gentlemen having me on. Uh, It's really an honor to be able to speak on uh, Edgar's behalf. Well, it's, it's great to have you on. We've, I read the article, a long piece, great comparisons to guys that are already in the Hall of Fame. What inspired you to write this article about Edgar Martinez? Well, I've been a fan of Edgar's for a long time. I watched him growing up. Um, I'm one of the few East Coasters, you know, who, who got to see uh, Edgar Martinez play. And, you know, it started out, of course, like everybody else, a fascination of uh, Ken Griffey Jr., but uh, I wasn't a left-handed hitter, so um, you know I kind of, kind of ended up going more towards uh, Edgar Martinez. And um, you know, as I, as I've gone through the numbers, I found that um, you know he, he really is on par with a lot of these uh, guys who are already in the Hall of Fame. And um, you know, I really just wanted to help the guy out because I, I'm not a fan of the stigma that the uh, designated hitter position carries. So um, you know, even if I, even if the guy picks up one extra vote because of his article, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I, I uh, did what I set out to do. Ryan, I believe before Edgar, you were very active in uh, getting Tim Raines into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, I, well, I always say Tim Raines got Tim Raines in the Hall of Fame. And as far as that whole thing was concerned, uh, Jonah Carey was very much so the, uh, the conductor of that train. I was uh, more of a passenger on board. But, um, you know, Tim was grateful for uh, – you know, the uh, campaign that we did for him. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the Hall of Fame, see his induction, and um, he invited me to his uh, Hall of Fame dinner. And I had, a, I got to have uh, beers with, you know, a bunch of my heroes, Ricky Henderson, Frank <laughs> Thomas, and, uh, and the like. So it was great. It was kind of neat because I think I remember uh, right when that happened or shortly after on Twitter, you said something to the effect, okay, Edgar, now I'm throwing my efforts behind him. And it just – the opportunity on social media to be able to do this—I mean, how much power is there through that? I know that you—you kind of—you're putting just uh, just volumes of stuff out on Twitter, and what's the reaction that you've seen to to that? Well, I get a couple different types of reactions. Uh, you know, the first one I get is no, designated here doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. But as I addressed in the article, um, we already have specialists in the Hall of Fame. I mean, look at a—you uh, know—guys like Raleigh Fingers. Um, Goose Gossage, Bruce Sutter, these guys are, are closers who, you know, in my opinion, have a uh, much smaller impact on the game than a guy who's coming to bat four or five. Uh, you know, sometimes with some of those Mariners uh, line up six times in a game. And, um, you know, you got these closers who are very much so back-end specialists. you got um, guys like Ozzie Smith, 
who uh, I kind of said to Edgar that, you know, maybe he's less deserving of the Hall of Fame than you are. And um, Edgar, every single guy that I kind of I, – I don't want to say I threw him under the bus, but every single guy that I kind of brought up in even slightly negative uh, light, would, he would stick up for. And uh, he firmly believes that, you know, guys who are fielding specialists, if you will, um, also belong in the Hall of Fame. So at this point, I, you know, I asked the question, why not, why not these hitting specialists? And then um, the, the other reaction I'll get is uh, every once in a while, the best reaction, somebody's like, hey, you know what? You changed my mind. Edgar Martinez, I, I, I'm, I'm buying it. I'm all in. And, uh, you know, it, it's, been, it's been a great thing. Uh, social media, uh, it has its positives and negatives, but uh, definitely a positive in being able to voice Edgar Martinez is a Hall of Fame candidacy. Ryan, in, in your experience with all of this, and, and it was interesting listening to you at the start, and obviously a fan um, watching this game when you were younger, and, and the game has evolved a bunch. Um, how long has it taken, do you think, to get people to understand how great Edgar was, when, especially when you look at all the new numbers that are available, and, and Edgar is right at the top of the list in many of those? Well, I think the biggest problem was that he's batting in a lineup with Ken Griffey Jr., and Ken Griffey Jr., of course, uh, he was favorite for a while there to break that uh, home run record. And, you know, he fell short uh, twice, I believe, 56 home runs in back-to-back seasons. I know you guys can correct me if I'm wrong there. But, um, you know, he kind of uh, played second fiddle to junior. And uh, to be honest, I'm not sure that should have been the case. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., of course, one of the greatest of all time. But in a lot of respects, Edgar Martinez was better. And uh, if it's all right with you, I'm going to throw one number at you. It's one of my favorites I've ever come across, and that is – from uh, 1995 to 97, Ken Griffey Jr. had a 385 on base percentage, and that's very much so Ken Griffey Jr.'s prime. During that same stretch, Edgar Martinez had a 386 on base percentage, one point higher, but that's when he was batting with two strikes against him. So to me, that just speaks volumes of the type of uh, not even just hitter that Edgar Martinez was, but the type of batsman he was. He was going to get on base. He was going to do whatever he had to do to help the, help his uh, help his teammates out, help him win ball games. I, I look at him kind of like almost like a, uh, a Wade Boggs with more power. Um, you know, Wade Boggs, another guy who I've been a big fan of. Uh, he um, was the same type of ball player. He just wanted to help his team win ball games any, any, way, uh, any way necessary. Ryan, uh, you, you talked about on base. I, I, I just want to throw this in. You, in your article, you brought up uh, David Ortiz. Uh, looks like he's going to eventually going to be going to the Hall of Fame. David Ortiz, you, you write, would need 665 consecutive plate appearances reaching safely to pass Edgar in a career on-base percentage. That's how That's good correct. Edgar uh, was at getting on base. When, when, how did you find that out? Uh, I, honestly, of all things, I, I have this uh, Excel tool that I use to just sort of uh, auto-generate these these answers to uh, silly questions like that. Um, one of the other ones in the article is uh, Tony Gwynn. So Tony Gwynn, who Edgar even said himself, you know, greatest hitter of a generation. Um, Tony Gwynn was one of the greatest hitters of that generation. However, I think Edgar Martinez was a better overall batsman. And I keep on saying batsman because uh, I'm speaking specifically with how a guy handles the bat, and that's whether deciding to swing it or not. Um, the example I always use, Tony Gwynn, great hitter. Wade Boggs, a better batsman. And I, I – the comparison is just it, it's clear to me Edgar Martinez and Wade Boggs Edgar Martinez got more power and you know Boggs had a little more longevity but um the Tony Gwynn one uh Edgar yeah. would have to return play for the Mariners next year go 0 for 660 not reach base safely once yeah. 
and base. then he would, his on base percentage would fall below Tony Gwynn's and only. That's that's an amazing number, but I think he could still get a hit. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, 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 well, I was talking to Mitch Henniger, and he, he said that uh, they got him in on the curveball machine, and he still can uh, put them out all over the field. Yeah. I think for myself, Ryan, and listen to you talk about Junior and, and Edgar, and I was fortunate enough to be their teammates during that time when Junior was hitting all those home runs. And I, I always felt it should be just the opposite. I think Edgar should get more credit for being the guy standing on deck when Junior was hitting. I don't want to take anything from Junior. Junior's the greatest player I've ever seen in my life. But when an opposing manager has to pick and choose, it was really difficult. And I can tell you that because I was sitting right there watching it. Right. And uh, I, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, you know, this, this whole idea, I'm digging into the sabermetric stuff, obviously. But I, I also don't like the idea that, uh, you know, there's no such thing as the eye test or there's no such thing as uh, making a decision that goes necessarily uh, against what the numbers say. And um, I think that protection, Edgar Martinez provided incredible protection for Ken Griffin Jr. And you flip those two around, I, I, I think Edgar Martinez's numbers would have improved and, uh, and uh, juniors, you know, may, maybe take a little hit there. Uh, who knows? But um, I consider – you know, protecting Ken Griffey Jr. and putting up the numbers you did for as long as you did uh, probably makes you a Hall of Famer. With everything that we have available to us now in evaluating and the eye test, I agree with that. I mean, if it was just about the numbers, you could just put it into a computer, have it spit out the top 20, and there's your Hall of Fame. I think it goes way beyond that. But what do you think the mark of a Hall of Famer is right now? Uh, well, what it is apparently is uh, – <laughs> Well, you can't put the the guys who maybe are, uh, you know, uh, jackasses in like Kurt Schilling, who I think is also a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to get off on that tangent. I think the mark of a Hall of Famer is a guy who uh, had an incredible impact on baseball for um, for an extended period of time, and Edgar Martinez did that. Um, Tim Raines said one of my one of the greatest quotes he gave me uh, in his article that I think applies to Edgar Martinez was something along the lines of. Um, if you're good at something that you do and you go into town and everybody tries to prevent you from doing it and they can't and you do that for a long time, that's probably a Hall of Fame player. And I think that that describes Edgar Martinez uh, to a T. And then, you know, if you want to just talk the numbers, the historical numbers are there. Uh, you know, we already talked about how the, um, the uh, stigma of being a specialist, it's, it's nonsense. But, yeah. I mean, you look at the seasons that this guy had. Uh, in 1995 to 2000, he batted at least 324-25-50 in all of those seasons. Uh, the last player before him to do that in six straight seasons was uh, Ted Williams. So, I mean, when you when you end up being compared at the end of your career to a guy like Ted Williams, I, I think that that is the mark of a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I, I can't see how you could take one group of players and say, no matter what you do, what kind of career you have, you know, I'm not going to vote for you for the Hall of Fame. The door is opening. Frank Thomas, Paul Molitor, and other guys, Edgar, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. We thank you, Ryan, for that article, for coming up with the numbers, letting the writers know how great this guy was. We know about that for 18 years here in Seattle. By the way, thanks for Tim Raines, too. Tim and I were in the minor leagues together many, many years ago. He was our little second baseman for the Memphis Chicks in 1978, <laughs> 1979. So, uh, a rock. So, anyway, Ryan, thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate hey. it, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'll come back anytime if you'll have me again. We'll have you again. Ryan Spader from SportingNews.com, and we'll continue more live from the Mariners team store here at Bellevue Square. Hot Stove continues right after this timeout. 
Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. I love this. Here it is, December the 15th. We're talking Mariners baseball. We're talking baseball here from uh, the Mariners team store, Hot Stove League Baseball. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer and Mike Blowers, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen. Guys, we had a chance to visit with Jerry DePoto tonight, talking about reshaping this ball club for the 2018 season, visiting with a writer, Ryan Spader, visiting with Dan, the man, Wilson. Uh, just your thoughts about what excites you about what Jerry has done so far about the ball club this year. I'm really looking forward to Ryan Hanniger having a healthy, great season in 2018 after what he showed us his first full year, hurt a couple of times last year, all the injuries and uh, Mike Zunino, what are you guys looking forward to in 2018, Shannon? You know, I, I think it, it, one of the tough things about last year, and you saw them battle through so much adversity, is we were very excited about that team going into the season. We never saw it. Never. It was all in the DL. Day one. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you talk about Hanniger, and I think you forget there were two DL trips. <laughs> He got hit in the face and came right back. Yeah. He also got hit in the finger or had the finger. Or, Trying to bunt. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that that kind of affected him for a lot longer sure. than we knew. And so I'm looking forward to a full healthy season because when he was healthy, hmm. uh, that you know, he, rookie of the year was in that conversation. There was no question yeah. about that. Uh, you look at what they're putting together in the pitching. You hear Jerry DePoto talk about how they're going to you know, employ that fifth starter spot. They will go to six at some point. They are going to have the relievers in and out. They had plenty of practice with that last year. So I think what's interesting is I think that you do have the additions. You do have a foundation that you very much liked last year, but you didn't see it. You're attacking the health issue with Dr. Martin, and I think that right now you're kind of to a point where we know about what they're going to do with the analytics and the health. We know what they do with the numbers behind the scenes. We know what they do with the numbers in in-game strategy and to find the players. Now it's time for all that to come together. Yeah. And, and while you look at the moves that they've made this offseason, it hasn't necessarily been a big splash anywhere, but I think there is that other component that you see behind the scenes, that you see uh, that they have an office full of analytics people. You see the reports come down. I think it's now time. If you can get everybody out on the field, if you can get those systems running, I'm very interested to see where that the, the two come together and where that takes them. Mike, what about you? Well, I think I would agree with Shannon. I think after the first couple of years with Jerry, um, I just want to know. I, I, I would like to know. You look at this club and you look at the club in spring training last year and you see that the way things got started at the beginning of the year and some of these young players, and then you don't get to see all of it together. In fact, right. it's just the opposite probably half the time. You didn't see any of it, really. Yeah. And you just so you just don't know until you see those guys out there. So I, I would agree with Shannon on that end of it. Um, th- there's a, a, thing, a couple of things for me. So I, I think that that is something that, that I'd really – I want to see where Mike can take this because I thought he took a really big step forward last year, and I'd like to see what that's going to be over the course of a full season because, in my mind, he can be an all-star, and he can be an all-star for a long time. Exactly. And he took that step forward last year in May by taking a step backward by going back to Tacoma for those 12 days. And yeah. then he came back, and, man, in June, he was Yogi Berra. Yeah, well, sometimes you know? well, sometimes it takes time, and, and nobody's doubted his talent. Yeah. Um, but it takes time to figure things out, and I think we, we would all agree that the catching position has more on his plate than anybody else, yeah. especially with all the information that's out there now and what's required of you. Um, and, and speaking of that end of it, the last thing for me, um, when you talk about upside is James Paxton and what he is capable mm-hmm. of doing for this team. 
with t- getting going out and getting 30, 32, 32 starts oh, that'd be and see what he can he can possibly do. Um, I, I don't. There, there was a point last year where he was the most dominant pitcher in Major League Baseball. One um, seven in a row there. Yeah, and in just the month. yeah, and it was and it was amazing to watch. So I, I'd like to see that in a full season, uh, for not just just for me, but for James. I, I think that he needs to do that too, and what a lift that would be for this club if he's able to do it. What I'm excited about is the. This ball club is getting younger, more athletic. That's something that Jerry DeBoto talked about ever since he took over, you know, about 26 months ago. We're going to get younger and more athletic. D. Gordon at the top of the order. When the Mariners acquired Gene Segura last year, we looked at his on-base percentage and uh, that, that 300 batting average and the 200 base hits the previous year with the Arizona Diamondbacks. We thought, oh, man, and, and the 33 steals. Now you put D. Gordon up there with the 60 stolen bases, the 300 batting average, the 200 base hits. I'm excited about seeing that speed at the top of the order and what the guys like uh, uh, Cano and Cruz and Seeger and Healy and Hanniger can do hitting behind those guys and generating even more offense this year, running the bases a lot better because you got D. Gordon out there as well along with Segura. So I'm excited to see a more upbeat style game that Scott Service has the ability to manage now because he's got that speed at the top of the order. Guys in the middle of the order that can drive the ball. Guys at the bottom of the order well, can get on base, too, and, and drive the ball. And, and you mentioned, Scott, and, and I know from my conversations with him last year, there was a couple of different times with Segura when when he first came over here, that was the first thing that Jerry talked about, his ability to run the bases and steal bases and what he's capable mm-hmm. of. But he was hurt all mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And, Scott, and Scott had to hold him back yeah. um, because of that. So, you know, hopefully he's not having to deal with those issues this year. But um, well, still, what a season he ended up putting together for him. Right. Well, it's great to see what they're doing right now down in Miami. I mean, these guys are getting ready. They're fired up about it. When you see a Ben Gamble and a James Paxton getting together with a Felix Hernandez and Nelson Cruz and the new guys and D. Gordon and Ryan Healy, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for spring training. I'll tell you what, here it is. You know, we're still a few days away from Christmas, but uh, our first uh, game and broadcast is going to be on February the 23rd against the San Diego Padres. Uh, down in Peoria, Arizona, we're going to take the air at twelve ten. The season opener is going to we're going to start a little earlier this year, guys. Mm, March the 29th. I was just yeah, I was just talking to Jen. This will be the earliest I've been to spring training since I was a player. Yeah, I believe they've only got three or four days of full squad before the games start. Yeah, yeah. That's so it's going to be very different. Yeah, and uh, first full squad reports on uh, February the nineteenth. Pitchers and catchers on the fourteenth. And uh, I remember one year we opened up the year on March thirty first. Remember one year? Yeah, it, it was really really early. But uh, that was a few years ago. But uh, I tell you what, uh, that was a lot of fun tonight. You know, coming here during the holiday season, getting ready for Christmas, guys. And uh, now I get to go do some know, shopping. I know it. I know it. So uh, I'm excited about the year. Are you, are you done with your Christmas shopping? Or no. You got a little. No, few, a little th- more to do. To we, we do have a tree up. That's good. That's always progress. I got my tree up early. There this might year. have been some cookies baked. <laughs> <laughs> You're good with the the baking, aren't you? I like to bake. Yes, what? that's what the off season is for. What's your What's your favorite thing? Oh man, I like to make homemade monkey bread. I heard about that. We put the pieces all together and just gooey it all together. Another Mike, you stay out of the kitchen. Nicole does the, does that, right? I just eat. Yeah, yeah. You're good on the you're good great bourbon on the pecan grill, pie too. Is one of the new <laughs> you ones. You are great on it. <laughs> Mike Shannon. Kevin, thanks for uh, coming by tonight. Good to see We're everybody again. Up. Yeah, our first yeah. hot stove show live from the Happy Holidays to everybody. Bellevue Square Mariners Team Store. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. Remember, I'm a size medium, and uh, we'll see you the next time we get on the air. But uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. All of, also, our special guests, Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto, for joining us tonight. Dan the Man Wilson and Ryan Spinner. So long, everybody.